Let's just stay there for one moment. Let's just stay there. Because I don't believe that some of us are done worshiping. So for the next minute, minute and a half, if you're new to Christianity or new to this church, and you wonder sometimes why we lift our hands, lifting your hand is just a universal sign for surrender. And all that means is whether you're introverted or extroverted, all you're saying to God is, God, I've tried it on my way. I've done it on my own. I thought I had a better idea than you. My way didn't work. And so I lift my hands as a sign of surrender to just say, Lord, have all of me. Anybody in here want God to just have all of you? Let's just stay right there for one moment. Just if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands and say, God, I surrender. God, you are holy. God, you are righteous. God, you are wonderful. You are magnificent. God, we thank you that you are holy. The God that even when I have tried my way and I have failed, God, you are so ready to forgive and so full of unfailing love. And so, God, I lift my hands in worship and surrender because, God, I have tried it my way and I'm sick and tired of trying to do things my way and getting the same results over and over and over again. But, God, this morning I declare that you have all of my life, that you have all of my heart, that you have all of my mind, that you have all of my family, that you have all of my job. God, take all of me and do whatever it is that you want to do with my life. God, I'm tired of competing with you. God, I surrender. God, I love you so much. And I thank you for being the type of God who sins your son, that you would rather give up your only begotten son than to give up on me. And so, God, I surrender. God, wherever I have made a mistake, forgive me. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy that endures forever. And so this morning, I lift my hands, not just in worship, but in humility and in submission. God, after all that I've done, after all that I've tried, God, I want to try you. I want you to have all of me. Because you are holy, you are worthy, you are excellent. And so, God, we thank you this morning for another opportunity to surrender our lives to you. God, we thank you. And we pray that as we proceed in this service that you would share a word with us this morning from your holy word that will help empower us, that will help encourage us, that will not beat us down, but it will lift us up so that we will continue to have confidence in surrendering our lives to you. God, we thank you. We worship you. We magnify you. We exalt you. All those are just fancy words to just say, God, we appreciate you. And we thank you for what you have done for us in our life. And if you agree with that, just say amen, amen, and amen. Come on, just give them 30 seconds of praise. Come on. God, we thank you. Come on, don't stop. Come on, don't stop. God, we thank you. God, we worship you. Thank you, God, for all that you have done in our life. God, we thank you. You may be seated. You may be seated if you can. Isn't God awesome? Sometimes you just need to take time to pause and not just rush through the moment. I know in today's church, it's typical to do your two fast and one slow. And then the preacher gets up. You know what I'm talking about. Two fast songs, one slow. That's the formula. 
But sometimes it's good to just pause and say, God, we surrender. There's been some decisions I may have made this week that didn't line up with what God. Come on, we're all human. Starting from the pulpit to the pew, we've all have areas in our life where we just need to submit and say, God, I surrender. I've tried it my way. Now it's time for me to try it your way. And so I'm encouraging you this morning that if that's your story, just continue every day when you wake up just to decide today, God, I can't promise what's going to happen tomorrow, but today I'm going to give you all of me. And I want to see what happens when, have you ever wondered this? What could God do with you if he had all of you? Not just for peace of you, not just for a couple of hours, but what could God do if he had your whole heart? I believe God can do some incredible things. Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is your first, second, or third time with us, we want to say welcome. My name is Lamar. I'm the lead pastor here among so many other wonderful pastors and elders who help lead this church. And we want to, on behalf of them, I just want to thank you for joining us if this is your first time. If it is your first, second, third time, or you never fit out a connection card in front of you in your seat, it's something called a connection card. And I want to encourage you to grab that and fill it out and let us know a little bit of information about yourself, how we can pray for you. Even if it's not your first time, even if you're a regular, let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, indicate that on the card. If this is your first, second, third time, or you never let us know that you're a guest, then on your way out, where it says next steps table on the back there, you can drop off that card with your information and you will receive a free gift this morning just for us to say we thank you for joining us. We understand there are plenty of awesome places to worship in the Tri-Cities area. We think we're one of the best, and we're thankful that you chose to join us, and we just want to give you a gift for joining us. If this is your first time with us, we are in week two of a series called Family Circus. Now, let me give you a little bit of background because we're still early in the series, so if you're just joining us. This series is all about family, and so I can't give you everything that we talked about last week, but here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you own a smartphone, you can go to your app store right now, search uh, Tri-Cities, T-R-I, last week I said T-R-E, T-R-I dash cities, and you can download the mobile app. It is free, uh, and you can listen to the message from last week, other messages from this year. There's a Bible reading plan. You also can get notifications about what's going on in the church. It's a great tool for you and for you to share with someone else, and it's absolutely free. So download that. Go back and listen to last week's message because we set up last week as we talked about family with a couple of things I want to sort of review. We talked about last week, number one, that we acknowledge that there are all different types of families. There are those who are adopted. Those are in foster care. There are those who have um, people in your family who are not necessarily blood related. Anybody here got play cousins like me? You know what I'm talking about, right? They're not like your real cousins, but y'all been together so long that we call them play cousins, right? That's, that's my, my cousin on my mama's side because she was a babysitter of my neighbor's daughter who she worked with. You know what I'm talking about. So, so there's all sorts of types of families and we honor that. And so when we talk about family, we're talking about your nuclear family. We're talking about anybody that you consider family. Even there are parts of this series that extend to church family and how that works. And so last week we said something interesting, and I came out uh, in our ringmaster jacket, and I decided I'm not doing that today because it was hot last week. <laughs> and your boy almost had a heat stroke while I was preaching to you. But go back and listen to that, because what we said last week is, here's one of the issues with family. Everybody wants to wear the red jacket. Everybody wants to be in charge. Here's one of the things we said last week. When everyone is right, everything goes wrong. 
You, you know that, right? When everybody thinks they're right, chances are that may be why things are going wrong because everybody in your family, from the husband, the wife, the children, then your play cousins, everybody thinks they're right. Everybody wants to wear the red jacket. And the problem is, is when everyone's right, everything goes wrong. And so one of the big takeaways from last week is there were three wrongs that we have instead of three rings. You know, a three-ring circus. If you have ever been to a circus, there are three rings. And the reason why there's three rings is because they want to have simultaneous uh, activities and simultaneous things for you to look at. And so it's kind of sort of controlled chaos. Like there's all these things going on at once. Here's what we discovered last week. That's going to be your family until you go to heaven. I hate to tell you this. I wish I could preach to you that you'll always be able to have this thing that we have presented as a myth called balance. Everybody wants balance. Can I just tell you there's no such thing. Your family at any given time is going to have at least three things going on that you're going to have to try to manage. And that's why our families are a circus. But we don't want it to go from three rings to three wrongs. If you want to hear more about that message, go back to the app or to the website uh, and listen to that about what those three wrongs are. And so I want to sort of push a little bit further on that concept because there are some things that we have to deal with in our family because last week we said that everybody wants to be the ringmaster and that's sort of this idealism as far as the role of who's in charge in the family. Because let's be honest, there are many different roles in the family. That's why we said that there are, there are different types of families. There's different roles in the family, and everybody has a part to play. There's different roles in the family. And so rather than me stand up here and tell you exactly how that role should be played out, I want us to look at a text that will get us down to what I call the irreducible minimum, that no matter what your role is in your family, in your fictive family, in your church family, all of us are going to play one of these roles in our family that I'm going to talk about. So you can be the husband, you can be the wife, you can be the child, you can be the cousin, you can be the pastor, you can be a church member, whatever your family looks like. We all have a role to play and you sort of have to navigate what that looks like, particularly in different seasons of your life. I know for my wife and I, we've had to pick up different parts of what it means to make the family work at different seasons. And so rather than me stand up here and tell you, you should be this and you should be that, let's break it down to the irreducible minimum. There are at least two roles that you are playing in your family at all times, and you don't even know it, and these are the two decisions that you need to make this morning. So before we go there, I felt like we need to sort of exercise some demons. Because last week, we talked about family, and it was, it was great, we had a great time, but I could sort of feel the tension. Because anytime we start talking about the person that we're possibly sitting next to, look straight ahead, look straight ahead. <laughs> we get a little tight. And so I want to do an exercise this morning. Now, this only works if everybody does it at the same time. You ready? Because while I was preaching last week, I realized as I'm preaching, you have in your mind the person that you thought needs to hear this. You know what I'm talking about. That person in your family that's a little bit off, I always say that family is a lot like uh, fudge brownies. It's mostly sweet, but there are a few nuts sprinkled in there. And if you don't know who that is, I'll let you catch that on the way home. So, so, so here's what I want to do, because there's something to be said about uh, calling out uh, people's names that we want to pray for, that we want things. That, and so I want you to get in your mind the name of that family member that you know that's ratchet. And at the count of three, we're all going to yell them out. Now, it only works if we all do it at the same time. 
Here, here's the other rule. If that person that you want to yell out is sitting next to you, yell somebody else's name, <laughs> but secretly in your heart you're thinking about them. God will forgive you for lying. You ready? On the count of three, get that name. One, two, see, some of y'all were ready to do it. I'm taking notes. You really thought I was going to have you yell out that person's name? It caused more drama in your family. I see some of y'all back there was ready. But let's think about it. Aren't there those people in our family? Some of y'all are disappointed, aren't you? <laughs> you were ready to yell out that name. That's all right. Just email it to me. I'll pray for them. But, but isn't, doesn't that happen? Like I'm, I'm thinking about that there's someone who maybe I'm struggling with in my familiar relationship. You don't have to yell your name out. You don't even have to say if they're sitting next to you, just look straight ahead. And nobody's going, don't drop your head. Now they know I'm talking about you. <laughs> but but that, that sort of, it sort of happens. But, but I want to take us a little bit further from our discussion last week and still sort of keep it at home because the reality is, is that while most of us did have that person's mind, their name in our mind, Here's something that you probably don't realize. Somebody might have had your name on their mind. And when it comes to family, so I can sit up here and I can tell you all sorts of things that you should, that your family should be doing. But, but just like last week, most of what can be a tremendous transforming agent in our family is when I start to deal with some of the stuff that I got to deal with. And just like the exercise, it only works if we're all willing to do it. So I want to jump down into a story this morning that I think if we're going to examine this, let's look at the first family and figure out some things that perhaps made that go wrong in some ways that we can examine ourselves. So let's jump to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to save you the details and start at verse 2. Because I got kids in here. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So you know what happened before that. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, watch this, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, verse 5, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Verse 6, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. You remember last week we said when Jesus says, uh, why can't you decide for yourselves not who is right, but what is right? Can I just tell you, most of the conflict in our family is because we're trying to fight about who is right instead of focusing on what is right. Did you catch what God said to Cain? He says, if you do what is right, things will be well for you. Then he goes on to say, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out in the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. You know what's crazy? If we read Genesis, literally, there's only four people 
and Cain kills his brother, that means the murder rate was 25%. And you think your town is bad. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, just, just marinate on that for a second. Verse 9, afterward the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? The old school version, King James, New King James, for those who grew up on this, says, am I my brother's keeper? Verse 10, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Very first family probably had more issues than <laughs> what your family has. That, that Cain and Abel, we know this, are the children of Adam and Eve. And, and you've read the story that, that Cain goes on to attack his brother and to kill his brother. And, and really, if, if you look at this story, there's two different roles that everybody in the family plays, whether you realize it or not. And my goal this morning is to help you to see what those two potential roles are and you make a choice on which one you want to play. Because I said this before, there are many roles in the family. There's husbands, there's wives, and there's, there's children, and there's, there's spouses, there's siblings, there's cousins. There's, if you have a work family, there's employer, employee, there's all different types of roles. And can I be honest with you? It's probably more complicated than I had time to talk about in five or six weeks. So let's reduce it down to the basics. The irreducible minimum of roles that you will have to play in your life. Let me just say this. You've got to understand that whatever your relationship with God looks like, however you relate to God, however deep your connection is with God, when you decide to give God your best or to not give God your best, watch this, it will impact your family. Did you miss what happened? It says that, that they both gave God an offering. And Abel, I don't know if you saw the distinction, it says that Abel gave God the best portion of what he had to offer God. Meanwhile, Cain just gave God something. Okay, so let me just ask you this question. Just look straight ahead. Nobody's going to know I'm talking about you. How many times have you just got God what you had left? Here's a little something, something on the side. Here's Here's what I got left. And, and you know that it might not have been your best. It not have, might have been the best that you could do for God, the best that you can give God, the best way you can serve God. Come on, maybe there's been times in your life where you know that that probably wasn't the best decision I could have made, but I just did a little bit. I just did the bare minimum. Aren't we the type of culture that just loves to do the bare minimum? Come on now, can I just be honest? Some of us, when we're living our life for God, we're like right on the line between doing right and wrong. You know what I'm talking about. If a good, come on now, if a good gust of wind blew you over right now, you'd be all the way wrong. I'm trying to get as close to being able to do what I want as I can and still be right with God. All it takes is for somebody to blink at you and you'll fall over and mess up. Come on now, you know what I'm talking about. I want to do as much for me as I can without actually being wrong for God. And some of us live on the edge. The text says that Abel gave God the best that he could give God. And Cain, no, no shade, he gave God something, but he knew it wasn't his best. Okay, so, so what does that have to do with 
uh, th- these roles that we play. C- can I just say this? Uh, that, that you and I have got to understand that my family will be deeply impacted, watch this, by my willingness or unwillingness to give God my best. See, you probably haven't heard that because we live in a culture now, especially in the West, where our faith in God is highly individualistic. This is, you heard this before, my personal relationship with God. And there's, there's truth to that. You need to have a personal relationship with God. But can I just blow your mind? Your personal relationship with God or lack thereof will impact your family. Abel gave God his best. Cain just gave God something. And it tore up their family. Can I suggest something to you before we even get further into these roles? For my note takers, write this down. I got lots of notes that are probably not going to be on the screen because I got some fresh stuff yesterday. (laughs) Write, Write this down for my note takers. Family doesn't work when someone is responsible. It works when everyone is responsible. It doesn't work if only one of us is giving God our best and the other one is just giving God a little something. It doesn't work when one of us is praying and the other one is just halfway committed to God. Can I just tell you that your first responsibility to making your family better is to strengthen your relationship with God. Your relationship with God or lack thereof will destroy your family or it will build it up. Okay, so what are the roles, Pastor? Because we're waiting on you to kind of tell us. Did you realize that God had some questions for Cain after he killed his brother? And we've heard this before. And, And Cain is sort of being facetious, but I think it's a good question. Here's the irreducible minimum when it comes to roles you play in your family. Here it is. Am I going to be a keeper? Or a killer. Where's your brother, Cain? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Can I just be honest with you? You might be a husband, wife, child, employer, employee, member of the church, whatever you are, whatever your family is, whoever you're thinking about right now is a part of your family. You might have many roles to play, but the irreducible minimum is this in your family and in my family, you're going to play one or two roles. You are going to either be a keeper. Or you're going to be a killer. And what I decide to do with my personal relationship with God will dictate in my family whether or not I'm going to eventually be a keeper of my family or a killer of my family. When I decide that I'm going to give God my best, I have the highest potential of being the reason why my family's kept. But when I decide that God is not worth giving my best to, you increase the potential of being the very reason why your family dies. See, whatever your role is, husband, wife, child, whatever it is, and see, that's why it's it's clear across the board. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your status. It doesn't matter if you're bringing money in the house or not bringing money in the house. Here's the irreducible minimum. In your family and in my family and in this church family, you're going to play one or two roles. You decide, am I going to be a keeper? In other words, can I be considered the reason why my family's kept. That it's it's crazy out there and there's 
so many things. We talked about this last week. There's so many things that are pushing and pulling against the success of my marriage and the success of my family and the success of raising my children and even the success of growing a church. There's so many different things that we have to compete with. But when I decide, God, I'm going to give you my best. God, when I decide, I'm going to surrender. God, when I decide that everything I have to offer you, I'm going to give you my best, I raise the potential of being the reason why my family is kept. Here's the question. When you ask yourself that question, can I consider myself the reason why my family is holding it together? I know you're struggling. I know there's stuff going on financially. I know you're dealing with situations with your children. Children, I know that you're wrestling with your parents and you're trying to gain independence. But at the end of the day, can I look myself in the mirror and say, I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage my family members. I'm going to give God everything I have because at the end of the day, no matter what's pressing against my family, I want to be considered the reason why it's still together. Come on, there's going to be two roles you're going to play. Keeper or killer. Here's what Cain did. He says, God, and here's the thing about being a killer. You don't necessarily know that that's your position in the family until it's gone too far. Because it didn't say that Cain didn't have a relationship with God. I mean, God was talking to him for Christ's sakes. It didn't even say that he didn't give anything to God. But here's what Cain and God knew. Here's what you and God know, even as you're listening to me speak. You know whether or not you're giving God the very best of you. And, and the, the subtle slope is, I feel like I'm giving God something. I'm praying just a little bit. I'm, I'm changed just a little bit. I'm for God's sake, I have a personal relationship with God. That's true. But did you notice that the one who gave his best and the one who gave just something, God is an afterthought, didn't realize that it has a profound impact on whether or not my family stays together. So can I say that again? Family doesn't work when someone is responsible. It works when everyone is responsible. What should I be responsible for, Pastor? I can't tell you that because you have different roles in your family. Some seasons you're going to have to play this role. Some seasons you're going to have to play that role. But what I can tell you is you better be responsible for giving God your best. Because if you don't, you might be the reason why your family falls apart. So, so here's, here's the important question when God asks him, and he says, am I, brother, am I my brother's keeper? There, in reality, the question of being our brother's keeper is one that we must use to assess our families, our nuclear families, our marriages, our relationship with our children, our relationship with our parents, and dare I say, even our relationship with our church family. I've got to start to assess whether or not I'm honestly being someone who can be considered a keeper, or am I operating in my personal relationship with God in ways that might lead me down the slippery slope of being a killer? Be careful because sometimes it's, it's the little things that we don't want to do. It's the, it's the little things that we neglect. It's the little ways that we know that we're just kind of giving God our leftovers. It's the little ways that we don't even realize that cause us to slide down this slope from being a potential keeper to being a potential killer. So I didn't tell you this, uh, but since you're here, I might as well be honest with you. Today is not a sermon. It's a quiz. 
We're about to take a four-part quiz to help you to understand whether or not you're being a killer or not. Because i got to help you understand that because just like Cain, Cain thought, well, I'm just doing a little something. I gave God something, but, but most of us don't even realize that we might be headed in the direction where we might be the reason why our family gets killed off. So, to, so today is not a sermon. You can go back and tell all your friends and your coworkers, what did preacher preach about? Actually, we didn't have a sermon. We actually had a quiz. Pop quiz. You ready for it? I call this the killer quiz. We're going to determine this morning between you and God if you're headed in that direction of being a killer. All right, so, so here, here, here's the first question I want to ask you. This is not on the screen. Here's a question, my note takers, I want you to write this down. What does everyone know about me that I don't? I'm going to say that again because it's not on the screen. What does everyone know about me that I don't know? You know what I'm talking about, what people will say, you know, you, you have a tendency to do that, or, or sometimes you, you yell when you get angry, or sometimes you, you're passive-aggressive, or sometimes, come on now, you know what I'm talking about, everybody else seems to know that but you. See, see the goal of the quiz is to help you this morning to realize, as God asked Cain some questions, I'm going to ask you the same questions, to help you and I to realize, am I headed that direction and don't even know it? Maybe there's some stuff that God knows about me that I don't. Maybe there's some stuff that my family and my coworkers and my church family knows about me that I don't. Here's the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Here's the first question for the quiz. Remember God asked Cain this? Why are you, check this out, so angry? <laughs> some of y'all got real quiet. Because he didn't say, why are you angry? Did you catch what he said? He said, why are you so angry? Like at some point, I've got to come to the realization that maybe there's some stuff about me, watch this, that is over the top. Anybody know anybody like that when it comes to family? Like you, like you bring them a glass of water and it has four ice cubes instead of five. Oh, my God. <laughs> you don't love me. I knew it the whole time. I knew that you were, come on now, you know what I'm talking about, just overthetop.com, just like, like what in the world? He says, he says, Cain, look, I understand you're upset, son, but why are you so angry? Can I just tell you what the problem is for most of us? And, and it's a cultural thing. Some of us have been influenced like this and we don't even know it. You ready? Sometimes our outrage is disproportionate to the actual offense. Like, I know she did that. I know he said that. I know it was wrong. I know. But come on now. Why are you so angry? That, that says more about you than it does about what actually happened. He says, look, I get it, son. Your, your brother beat you out. Anybody in here have an older sibling that it seemed like they couldn't do no wrong? You know what I'm talking about? Like, mama loved him and daddy loved the whole community. It's like God himself descended a dove on their shoulder. And you're like, what about me? Like, I can't, I can't get nobody to love me and appreciate me and respect me. Like, you feel like that when you have that family member? Like, they can't do no wrong. And, and Cain was like, 
God's like, you know, I, I understand you're, you're upset. Like your, your brother, he nailed it. Come on, let's just be honest. He nailed it. He, he did a good job. It's okay for you to be a little bit of jealous because you want to do as good as he does. But come on, let's be honest. Does the outrage match the offense? Why are you so angry? Come on now, let's be honest. In our family, there's some stuff that people done and they shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't have said it. They shouldn't have gone there. But let's be honest. Is it worth the level of outrage that you display based on the the minuscule amount of the actual offense? Here's where I'm going. Here's the first question you got to ask yourself if you want to understand whether or not you're headed towards being a killer. Here's the question. Am I self-absorbed? See, when I preach this in my head, I said it's going to be real quiet today. Like nobody's going to say <laughs> it's going to be like holy crickets in here. <laughs> but come on, let's 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 ask ourselves. Right. If, if I want to understand whether or not I'm a keeper or a killer. Here's the first question. Am I self-absorbed? You know why? Because self-absorbed people tend to take everything out of proportion. Like God is literally saying, it's not that deep, son. You know what you could do? Just do better next time. Why are you so angry? Have you ever asked yourself that? Because part of being self-aware is asking ourselves the tough questions and say, you know what? When that happened, yeah, it was bad, but why did I get that mad? Like, like seriously, here's a question. Here's a statement I want to give you. Our reactions often expose, watch this, our insecurities. Why are you so angry? You know why? Because sometimes the way I react to stuff, especially when it's negative, actually exposes my insecurities. What was it about Cain that made him so angry that he was willing to kill his family? Pastor, I never killed nobody, but what? Maybe you killed them with your words. Maybe I've said something because because I'm insecure about me or my relationship with God or my relationship with someone else. Or there's some stuff that I need to work on. And instead of actually having the appropriate amount of outrage for the offense, I get so angry that I'm willing to say stuff that will kill you verbally. So let's ask ourselves this question. Why are you so angry? Come on, let's be honest. This is just between you and God. Was it really what happened or is there something else going on? Because your reactions will often expose our insecurities. So here's a question. It's not on the screen, so I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. Here's a question to ask yourself in a moment that's challenging in your family. You ready? Number one, why did I react that way? What was it about what they said or they did that made me act like that? Because let's be honest, what they did was not worth the way that I responded. What is it? I can't answer that question for you, but it's a good question to ask. Why did I react that way? Why are you so angry? Are you so self-absorbed that all you care about is you and your feelings? God said, why are you so angry? Come on now, son. He, he did good. C- congratulate your brother. He did good. Just be better. 
you got to ask yourself, why, why did I react that way? Here's the other question that you want to ask to find out if you're self-absorbed. This is a good one. You ready? It's not on the screen, so I need you to write it down. Put it in your phone. Put this in your notes. What desire or fear does my reaction reveal? When I take things and blow things out of proportion, when I react in ways that I might later regret. Anybody ever been there where you reacted in ways where you said something that you know you're going to regret later, that you have to apologize for, that you got to buy flowers for, now you got to do all this stuff to try to make amends? Anybody ever done something that you reacted in a way that you regretted? Here's a question. What does my reaction reveal as far as my fears? What am I really afraid of that I reacted that way? Cain, what's your problem, bro? Like, Like your brother did a good job. He gave God. You would think that you would be happy that you have a family member that's that committed to God. The outrage didn't match the offense, did it? So what are you really really afraid of? What does that really reveal? What, What desire or fear does my reaction really reveal? Because until I'm ready to wrestle with that, I might be headed down the road of being a killer, not a keeper. So come on, husbands, when your wife says something or, or wife, when your husband says something or or check this out, even teenagers, when your parents tell you something about something that they see in you that you don't. Was slamming the door really appropriate? For somebody telling you how you could be better? Does the outrage match the offense? So what's the real fear? Maybe I'm, I'll just speak for myself, maybe I'm insecure because I don't feel that good or I feel like I'm always trying to prove myself or I feel like I live in a family where I'm always having to try to prove myself. And so anytime somebody says something to me that's intended to make me better because I have an internal insecurity, I react and respond in a way that's not appropriate with the offense. Got to ask yourself that question. You with me? So the first thing is, ask yourself, are you self-absorbed? God asked Cain, why are you so angry? Here's, here's the second question that you got to ask yourself. Am I self-destructive? Because God asked Cain, he, he says this, you remember this? Why do you look so dejected? That, that term in Hebrew literally means this. Watch this. Why are you making yourself sick? Like you are literally the source of your own pain. Come on now, you know people like that, that you look at them and they all, there's always something wrong, right? They just, just arms folded, legs crossed, lips twisted, looking mad like a pit bull. Everything's always wrong. I call it a chicken little spirit, you know what I'm talking about? The sky is always falling. And God says, But your misery is a result of your own doing. Why, Cain, do you look so dejected? Literally, this is what it means in Hebrew. Why are you making yourself sick over something that doesn't really matter? So here's what I got to ask myself. Because people who do that tend to end up being killers. I become the reason why I'm miserable. And then I want everybody else, watch this, to pay for it. Here's a tip that's not even in my notes. When it comes to family, friends, whatever, relationships, when somebody does something, because Cain had a little bit of insecurity, but there were some parts of him where he was 
He may have been offended. I can't, I can't judge him. Remember I said last week, it's not my job to tell you how to feel. But here's what I can tell you, that whenever somebody sins against you, if you keep trying to make them pay for their sins against you, you will always be miserable. You know why? Because only one person is qualified to pay for sin. And as long as I keep trying to make you pay for what you did, it might be legitimate. There might be, need to be some outrage. But as long as I keep allowing you to be the person to pay for your sins, I will continue to make myself miserable. I will continue to get a check that comes back that says insufficient funds. You know why? Because only Jesus is qualified to pay for sin. And sometimes in order to stop making myself miserable, I got to learn how to let it go. He says, why are you making yourself sick? Can I be honest with you? Some of the stuff that happens in family, we do to ourselves. Because that happened five years ago, and I'm still holding on to it, and I want you to pay for what you did. I want you to pay, Abel, for how you showed me up. Okay, some of y'all don't even, you act like I don't you know what I'm talking about. Where you have a family member who always, every time you got good news, they got to have better news. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have triplets. Like, come on now, Stop. <laughs> Stop messing with me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I got a degree. You go back and you get three. Every time, and, and Cain was like, you're trying to show me up. And God says, yeah, but, but the fact that you won't let that go, you're actually making yourself sick. Why do you look so dejected? Why, why are you making yourself miserable? You know who does that? Killers. They can never be satisfied with what's going on in their life. So let me ask you this question under number two. What habits, words, practices that you are having in your life are harming you and your family? Because killers tend to be their own worst enemy. The reason why it's not going well sometimes is not them, it's, be, it's me. You with me? So number one is... Am I self-absorbed? Number two is, am I self-destructive? Okay, so we're halfway through the quiz. I'm hoping that you're passing by now. Here's number three in the quiz. Am I in self-denial? Where is that at in the text? Well, God asked him. He says, what have you done? You catch that? Like, that's the thing I always wrestle with my kids. Like, I hear a fight break out, and I'll say, Okay, so what happened? Well, he, well, he, well, they. And my question is always, what did you do? Because you know what happens for people who are killers? We tend to practice something called blame. You know, that God asked, he asked Cain, I'm not talking about what your brother did. I said, what did you do? And people who don't ever want to deal with what they did are people who live in self-denial. God asked him, what have you done? See, killers tend to be blamers. It's everybody's fault for how I act. Okay, now I'm bowling down somebody's lane. Let me shine up my ball. Bowl down your lane. I'm going to drive up in your driveway, sit on your front porch, and drink all your sweet tea. And I'm going to read your mail while I do it. How many times have you blamed someone for how you reacted instead of taking responsibility? Remember, we said this last week that I told you I'm never going to allow you 
to dictate how somebody else should feel. But on the other side of that, I said at the same time, you've got to own your own emotions. No one made you cuss them out. Stop saying that. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all responded. Nobody made you get an attitude. Nobody made you call and say that. Nobody made you turn your back because, we you know, we like to blame. And so I want to justify my behavior by saying, well, you made me cuss you out because of how you was acting. No, actually, you chose to do that. He says, what have you done? You want to be a keeper, not a killer. Don't live in self-denial. See, blame, watch this, it's not in your notes, is often an attempt to hide something from others. You remember the first family, we're reading them now, Adam and Eve. God says, here's this tree. I don't want you to eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. You remember that? They had a whole, here's the thing that trips me out. You have a whole garden. Why you settle on one tree? They go on to do what they did. You know, Eve ate the fruit, Adam ate the fruit. God shows up. It says what happened, and what was the first thing that Adam did? He blamed his wife. And husbands have been blaming their wives ever since. He says, it was that woman you gave me. Do you notice he even tried to blame God? I didn't even ask her. I just woke up, and she was here. I was chilling in the garden with my horses and my orangutans and all these animals that I named, and you put me to sleep. I woke up, and this woman, you matter of fact, God, it's not even her fault. It's your fault. You know what I'm talking about, right? You ever blame God? Well, if you had it done it my way, if you had to answer this prayer, I wouldn't have had to go out and have that side hustle and do something and cheat on my taxes. Oh, that was too deep. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got too close. Let me back up. Beep, beep, beep. You know what blame does? Blame is an attempt to hide something from others. You notice what they did after they ate that fruit? It says that their eyes were opened and they hid. Can I just tell you, for some of us, blame is your hiding place. It's the place you go so you don't have to deal with the stuff about you that needs to change. Blame is my cave. Blame is the place where I go to hide. Well, as long as I can make it your fault, I don't have to deal with me. As long as I can say you made me, I won't have to deal with me. As long as I say that it was because of you, that's how I reacted. And while it might have been offensive, the outrage doesn't match the offense. But you know what I do? I blame you so I can hide from me. He says, what have you done? Come on now, kids, teenagers, listen to me. Take responsibility for your actions. The world that we live in now is teaching you that it's not your fault. We live in a, okay, I don't want to offend nobody. I'm going to say this anyway. We live in the participation trophy era. Where you could be like Cain, just show up and you get, here you go, first place. No, man, you got to take responsibility. Put in some work. Do some exercise and work out. Get better at your crowd. But we live in an age where we live like Cain. I just give you a little bit of something and everybody's awarding me. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. You didn't do nothing. You did nothing to deserve that. Take responsibility for your actions. Here's a question. Here's a question. Then we'll move on. Here's a question. When you ask yourself, am I in self-denial? Ask yourself this. What do I have to hide? Why do I keep blaming others? What, am I, what do I have to hide? Here's, a, here's another question. Am I adjusting the truth to compensate for my lack of commitment? 
Because remember, if you're going to be a keeper, you got to give God all of you. But do I adjust the truth to adjust for my lack of commitment? Well, it's because Abel was showing off and I didn't like the way that he was showing off his offering to you. And so, you know, things got heated. We went out on the field. And I really meant to go out there and play. You know, I just wanted to play catch with him. And he kept talking about how, man, did you see how God was so pleased with my offering? And, and it just kind of made me so mad. And before I knew it, I blacked out and I had killed him. <laughs> That's like the 2019 version. I don't even remember doing that, God. He just made me so angry that God said, no, no, what have you done? Take responsibility for your actions. Don't adjust truth to compensate for your lack of commitment. See, blame, watch this, always blocks transformation. I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to be a keeper of my family until I'm willing to deal with my role. All right, here's the last part of the quiz. Number four, am I self-serving? God asked Cain, where is your, here's the emphasis, brother? Emphasis on brother. Where is your brother? That, that's your brother, man. That's your sister. That's your church family. That's your mom. That's your dad. That's your cousin. That's, that's your employee. Like there's a relationship there. There's an emphasis on the relationship. Do you know what happens for killers? They're so self-serving that they don't even realize that what they do, watch this, impacts every relationship they have. People who are killers, they tend to live in what I call, they live with the unholy trinity. You know, when Christianity, we have the holy trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know that? Basic Christianity. You know what the unholy trinity is? Me, myself, and I. And some of us are more moved by the unholy trinity than we are by the holy trinity. Even God and in, in, in how God presents himself to us as a community shows us that there's an intertwining relationship. Do you catch that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? There's interaction there. God asks him, where is your brother? That, that's your brother. In other words, there's nothing that you do in your family that's not going to impact somebody else. And people who are self-serving make decisions without understanding that the consequences are not just on me. When I say that, when I do that, when I go out, that's why I, in my previous life, as a pastor of another church, and we used to do membership class, I used to tell people, um, here's the last thing I'm going to say to y'all before I let y'all go. Remember, number one, you represent Jesus. And then number two, remember what church you go to. And they would look at me funny. I said, don't be out there flipping people off <laughs> when they cut you off on the freeway and you got our church bumper sticker on your car. <laughs> When you posting stuff, y'all laughing, but I used to have people come to me, look what your members doing. I'm like, they're growing. I can't. But here's the point. Everything you do impacts somebody else. Always remember that. Cain went, could have been a keeper, but he ended up being a killer because he was only thinking about himself. He didn't think about how this is going to tear up his entire family. So here, here's my last words for you. I'm going to go right back to where I started, and then we'll pray. Family does not work when someone is responsible. It only works when everyone is responsible. Make your relationship with God as best as it can be. And I promise 
you will slide away from being a killer and you will be the person who can say, my family, despite all the hardships, is kept together because I'm giving God my best. And just like the opening exercise, it only works, watch this, when we all do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you.